Hello and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. Today I'm going to continue on with the Turning Points series that we're doing, looking at major events in church history. And this next event that I'm going to be talking about is called the Monastic Movement. And the interesting thing about it is that it's a turning point that lasted about a thousand years. So you may remember that we were talking about um, Constantine and him being the first emperor who was favorable towards Christianity. And from the Council of Nicaea till the Council, Council of Chalcedon, um, there's about 100 years of the church figuring out how to work with emperors, you know, what to do with political influence and how to maneuver in it. And some people, of course, uh, whenever there's political power to be had through religion, then people sometimes go for that, even though they're not that interested in the, the Christ of Christianity, they might be interested in the power of the positions. And so um, there's this whole facet of the church being melded in with political power that was growing through that period. Now, in response to that, some parts of Christianity had a real kind of revulsion against Christianity becoming mainstreamized, and it was really exemplary through the monks uh, and through the and it began the monastic movement, which lasted about a thousand years as a really predominant part of Christianity. And so, what would kind of happen if you think about it is that you'd get these people who would you know head out into the desert and just be alone with God. And one of the most famous pioneering ones was a guy named Anthony that Athanasius wrote about the life of St. Anthony and his kind of spiritual battles he would have on the desert or another guy named Simeon who um, was famous because he lived on top of a pole and so he was built he would live on it he was on a pole on a platform on a pole and he was kind of building this pole pole higher and higher over time and people would come to visit him or come to bring him food and he was just on top of a pole praying this was his life and as people kind of saw his devotion and his um his prayer life you know it was really impacting and so mark knoll who wrote the book turning points that i'm gaining my information from was saying that this simeon was actually really influential in having the church receive the Council of Chalcedon's decisions because, you know, they sent him up a question in his bucket and he sent down the bucket favorably responding to what the the council had decided, which helped people receive it because of how much influence he had. Now, this is just a guy who spends his time on top of a pole praying. And so you see the these beginnings of these these people really trying to devote themselves to life of just being with God and just having time to pray and being separate from the world. So I want you to kind of picture this in your head. You have this one movement, which is the church figuring out how to do life as um, the central faith of a people group. So the Roman emperor is favorable to Christianity and the churches are being welcomed um, instead of persecuted. And so it's becoming mainstream. And at the same time, you have people who are kind of resisting the mainstreamization of Christianity and developing life on the outskirts of society. And this is the one weird, one of the interesting weird things about Christians is that we tend to do both things at once. There's tend to be people who are kind of like 
figuring out how to do faith in the mainstream and how to do faith on the outskirts at the same time. So we always have give people something to complain about um, because, you know, someone could say, oh, you Christians, you're out on the, the fringes. That's true. Oh, you Christians, you're just trying to get in the White House. That's true. Um, we try to do faith everywhere. So these original pioneers, if you want to call them that, starting these lives set apart for God by being physically set apart, um, this developed and uh, one of the main people who influenced the monastic movements is a guy named Benedict, who wrote a rule for monasteries, which was influential for centuries after him, who talked about how to do life together. And so just a picture of what a life in a monastery could be like. It would be a rather big building because you'd be housing all of these men. They'd be typically men, what was men living with men or women living with women but typically men, and they would have had taken kind of three vows, a vow of chastity, a vow of celibacy, sorry, a vow of poverty, and a vow of obedience. So they would be saying, you know, I'm not going to get married. I'm going to stay physically pure. I'm not going to own things. I'm just going to live communally, and I'm going to obey my, um, my abbot. I'm going to obey the one who's in authority over me. And these were developed as a way of kind of crucifying the flesh, if you want to put it like that. They, they were uh, responses to what are the, the lusts of the world that, that are come out of your heart? Well, there's sexual impurity, there's greed, and there's rebellion. And so these vows were really meant to address these heart issues. And so you'd have all these people who've taken these vows, they're living together, they're living single, they're living uh, in community, and they're living under the rule of whoever's in charge of the monastery. And their day you know, a typical day for a Benedictine monk, monk would have seven times of prayer. Okay, the first one would start at midnight. So they would start off the new day, uh, which is still the middle of the night with prayer. And then they'd have a morning prayer and their prayer times would continue throughout the day, seven times of prayer. And then interspersed between these times would either be times for eating times for reading, or time for work. And so your day was very structured around singing songs to God and prayer, worship and prayer, with times for studying the scriptures or studying works of um, other Christians and eating together and working together. And the thing that was fascinating for me as I read this is how influential the monasteries were. Um, they, They were the backbone of the spread of Christianity for about a thousand years. And what could happen typically is that um, monks would go out and they would plant monasteries in new areas. And those would be like the evangelistic bases of that area. And the monks would go out from there and either teach or do whatever they were going to do. And they were also centers of learning. So for one instance, um, you know, they would they would have like libraries and they would keep books. And it was some monasteries in Ireland that really kept some of the major Bibles from being destroyed during these Viking invasions that were happening during one part of the history of the church, the medieval church. And so um, they, they would keep learning, they would keep books, and they would be storehouses for books, as well as they'd kind of be repositories for technology. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, one instance that I heard about, not from this book, but in a different place, is that, you know, um, in medieval times, in the early medieval times, a lot of technology was lost. And so a lot of the plowing for, with an oxen would be done with just a rope around the oxen's neck. 
and that would be cut into his skin. He couldn't pull the plow very hard, and somebody developed or redeveloped a really good yoke that the ox could really just lean into and really pull that plow and do better farming. And that technology was spread from monastery to monastery and from the monasteries to the farmers that surround the monasteries. Um, A more recent development was that uh, modern beekeeping, if you know about modern beekeeping it's it's all about these boxes with these little slats inside the boxes where the bees will make their honeycomb and you can just pull the slats out and cut the caps off the tops of the honeycombs and all the honey comes dripping out and that method of beekeeping was developed by a monk he was the beekeeper at a monastery and he figured out that if you put the spaces at this exact the gaps at this exact spacing, I don't know if it's five, eight, seven inch, I forget what the exact spacing was, but if you do the spaces exactly right, the bees will walk in between these slats, but then make the combs between these other slats. And so you can control where they'll make their combs by having this exact spacing in the boxes that are the beehives. And so a monk developed that, and from that monastery, that technology would have spread throughout the entire world. And so somebody said about the monasteries that their contribution to the world was the cross, the book, and the plow. Wherever they went, they brought um, the teachings of Jesus. They brought the Bible. Wherever they went, they brought learning, and they they would be they would often do teaching for local communities. And wherever they went, they brought. Um, t- agricultural technology because that's what they did they would they would pray they would study and they would farm essentially and so um, the turning points book was saying that there was one group of monks or one breed of monks that was particularly devoted to going and building monasteries where people found it hard to live and they would figure out exactly what crops would work well in that that ground and what you needed to do to have good crops and then they would share what they had learned with the surrounding people as a way of you know blessing them so this is to me a really interesting thing um the the spread of the monasteries and these people who would really devote themselves to to God by saying, I'm not going to get married and I'm not going to own things and I'm going to live a life of submission in community. And the God used these, this method to spread um, Jesus across Europe. And um, so, of course, there's lots of things that go wrong along the way and lots of criticisms. And maybe I'll deal with that in the next one. But it's just, we need to give God credit for what he used in history. And through history, he used monasteries to serve the church by having communities of people who were specifically devoted to learning and to living together that spread the faith. And as I've been meditating on this, I think, you know, monasteries, monasteries, excuse me, aren't super popular, at least around where we live. I think there's a few monasteries, but they're kind of just like weekend retreats, but there's not people climbing over each other to go and join these monasteries. But we do monastery type stuff as evangelicals. A seminary is like a monastery. You don't take vows, but it's a place of like heavy learning where you are supposed to be set apart and devoted to learn the gospel and then go out to bless the the world. So the monasteries had this kind of seminary aspect to it for centuries and centuries and centuries. Also, we are around here, at least where I live, we're used to um, colonies where colonies um, like Hutterites, um, some Mennonite colonies perhaps, but uh, um, or Haldemones, they're these people who live together 
to be separated from the world, to be set apart for God from the world. And, you know, we might say they're a little bit too separated because it doesn't seem like they do a lot of evangelism. They don't send out a lot of missionaries, but they are trying to live these lives set apart from just the um, unbelief of being in mainstream culture. And of course, they have lots of kids, so they obviously don't have any vows of chastity. But you can see that it's almost like everywhere you go, people are wrestling with, how do I live in the world? How separate do I be? How involved do I be? Um, Am I supposed to be? Am I called to be? And we're trying to figure out as Christians this fact that we're, this is not our home. This life is not the, the end life. We're looking forward to another life. And in the meantime, we need to figure out how to follow Jesus in our context where we're separate from the world in the right ways, and but also in the world in other ways. And so the monasteries um, were a response to this, where they would say, yeah, we will have these communities that are really separate from the world, but they're also there to bless the world, inform the world, and send be missionary bases for sending out into the world. So there's a brief beginning to this turning point in church history. But as Christians, we need to, if we want to know our our past, our family history, we need to know the monasteries were a huge and influential part of Christian history since around the the mid-300s through to the Reformation, which we'll get to eventually. So have a great day and be blessed.